This is Scott Vandemotter with the AMFA Insider. AMFA Insider is sponsored by AMFA National and is intended for AMFA members. Today we have a conversation with Justin Madden. Justin is the Executive Director of Government Affairs for AMFA. He's also a practicing A&P mechanic. Justin has a great knowledge and enthusiasm for what he does and I think it shines through here. I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's just get into your background a little bit. Um, I don't know where you want to start, but I know you're a proud Marine, so maybe that's a good place as any. We have, I know I work with a bunch of Marines at uh, Midway, so let's start there. Tell us about your experience there. Fantastic. So yeah, how I, how I got into aviation. So yeah, my, my career started in the Marine Corps. Uh, I worked on Hueys and Cobras out in San Diego, a little north San Diego at a place called Camp Pendleton. And uh, I was actually working on aircraft before I even turned 18. I joined, uh, enlisted at 17, and was already working uh, before I turned 18. So uh, this is now my 28th year in the industry, if you count that time. So I worked on Hueys and Cobras, got an honorable discharge from the Marine Corps, and uh, really wanted to stay in helicopters. You know, call me a rotorhead, but I, I really enjoyed helicopters, really enjoyed, uh, you know, working on, on the aircraft. But I just couldn't find a job in, in California that would, would pay enough to justify living out there. So uprooted my family, uh, hired on at Transworld Airlines in St. Louis, Missouri, and worked there for a few years. So that's where I sort of got my feet wet in the commercial business out of the military and uh, worked on all different aircraft types. I mean, TWA had 747s and L-10 11s and, and uh, MD-80s and DC-9s and 757, 767. So quite a range of, of aircraft that I worked on there. Uh, both in the hangar and in the line in St. Louis. And uh, before the merger happened between uh, American and TWA, I left and in, in, in went to Southwest Airlines, first in Chicago, uh, then went to Phoenix, and then uh, ended up in Philadelphia. So I've been with Southwest Airlines now for over 20 years, and uh, obviously I work on their fleet of aircraft. But while I was, was, was at Southwest, and, and early in my career at Southwest, we, we, we got involved in, in, in the organizing drive to bring AMFA on at Southwest. And that's how I got involved with the union. And uh, we, we, we started Local 32 in Phoenix. I was the first local secretary. And, and then I've been to several conventions as a delegate. Uh, I did become a national officer, uh, executive leadership of the National Executive Council. I was a national secretary treasurer. Uh, from 2013 to 2016, and I've been the Executive Director of Government Affairs for AMFA uh, since 2017, so I'm coming up on five years in this role. And in this role, what I do is I work with uh, the NEC, I help them develop a legislative agenda, and then it's my job to go implement that agenda. I also work with all of our strategic alliances uh, you know, uh, all of our industry, academia, and, and other labor friends uh, to, to assist in, in how we get our legislative agenda done. In addition to, to my uh, role with AMFA, the Secretary of Transportation uh, pointed me to the, the FAA's Aviation Rulemaking Advisory Committee. So I'm a member of that committee. Uh, I represent the Aircraft Mechanic Labor Voice, so we're a stakeholder at the table, along with pilots, flight attendants, industry, uh, and academia. Can I jump it, in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what you refer to as ARAC, right? So, yes. Yeah, so ARAC is, is, is the, the acronym for the Aviation Rulemaking Advisory Committee. Okay. 
I just want to get that out because I know that term is going to come up later. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Can absolutely. I also ask, I have a couple other questions just um, for background's sake. Where did you get your AMP? Did you get it while you were training in the Marines or did you go to college for that? Or how did that come yeah. out? So I am, so there's two, two, two ways to get your AMP license for part 65, right? You can go to a part 147 school and, you know, go through the training necessary to, to test or you can you can go through the experience pathway and the experience pathway really has two different sort of pathways within itself and one of those is via the military uh, or the other way is is working you know underneath an, an amp mechanic and gaining that 18 months experience or 30 combined i was able to to utilize my military experience to to get the the uh, faa to sign off on on me taking my test so that's how i, I got my amp through through the military pathway did you utilize the GI Bill for any of? I any did of that? utilize the GI Bill, but not for not necessarily for. Well, it wasn't for my A and P for sure. Uh, it was more for for college. Or otherwise, it was political science, economics, all the classes I took. Uh, otherwise, general ed. You know, uh, that that's what I use my GI Bill for. Very nice. That's. It's sad that more people don't take advantage of that GI Bill because it's like the greatest. Well, today it's, it's different than it was for me. I was I fell under the Montgomery GI Bill, so although fantastic uh, in, in what it provided, I basically in my first year of enlistment uh, provided a hundred dollars a month, so it was a total of twelve hundred dollars, and uh, they they made turned that into fourteen thousand and four hundred dollars, right? So at the end, I, I could take that money and use it, you know, however I needed to 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 get my degree, but it capped out at a certain point. Today's GI Bill is 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 extremely beneficial to the veterans and uh, and it should be i mean you know there's been a lot of the war in afghanistan and, and iraq uh it's been really tough we've got a, a a lot of you know veterans have suffered um we have a lot of suicides today because of of this war uh, that's that's now ended but you know um, they deserve everything they they have but they get they get a significantly better uh package than i got when i was in, in the military oh absolutely again, they deserve every they deserve every benefit yeah i went to school with kids who were on the gi bill at embry riddle and uh they got like everything paid for all the flight training housing i was like i, I thought man i chose the wrong track here <laughs> these guys are getting all this uh you know basically free college at the time and that was you know 20 years ago i can't imagine how much money it costs to go there now but uh this that stuff adds up yeah, there was actually a recent, recently a study that, that the Aviation Technician Education Council put out. They put out a pipeline report every year, and a uh, great friend, by the way, of AMFA, the, the ATEC group, and they, they're, the, they, they're the umbrella group for all the Part 147 schools. And they put out this pipeline report, and, and they, they averaged out the cost of, of, of getting an AMP today, and it's somewhere in the, this, you know, I'm going to use rough numbers here, uh, but it's, it's in like the $16,000 range to get your AMP. Now, obviously some schools, it's more expensive. Some schools you have to get your, your airframe or excuse me, your, your associate's degree is a part of the AMP. Um, you know, some schools you can only get your, you, you can get just your A or your P, uh, but they averaged it out and it came out to about $16,000. So uh, not insignificant. It sounds like a deal to me compared to other programs. Like if you want to get into a nursing program, which is also a two-year program, you're going to be spending a lot more than $16,000 and they make a similar, you know, wage as we do. So I don't think that's too bad of an investment, really. It's, it's not. Now, again, that's the average. And you've got to consider that there are, you know, community college schools that, that, you know, nonprofit schools are going to charge less. 
than say the 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 more expensive private schools are going to charge. But there, you're also charging for the experience. You said you went to Embry Riddle. I'm supposing you spent, uh, you know, if you went to Embry Riddle today, you'd spend more than that sixteen thousand dollars. But they're a fantastic school, and uh, in, in, with a fantastic program that trains in. So yeah, I don't want to get off track with my problems, but uh, we'll move on to uh, yes. Uh, we're kind of um, done with the background section. Let's start on the present day. Um, you are, I guess we should go for past, huh? Well, no. So, so we, we, we can, uh, sure. So, so if we go back just a second, I just wanted to finish off with, with uh, some of the things I'm doing outside, not necessarily outside of AMPA, but, but as part of my role with the government. And, and I think it's important as we, we move forward to, to know this. So with ARAC, you know, I sit on that team. There's, there's, it's really a stakeholder group. It's only the important stakeholders that are part of ARAC. The Department of Transportation controls it. Obviously, FAA is, is the, the lead agency. Uh, but, you know, it takes the Secretary of Transportation to appoint to that committee. So, so we're, we're appointed, I'm appointed to that committee. In addition, I'm on several subcommittees. Uh, so one of them is the Part 145 subcommittee. One of them is the ACS, the Airman Certification Standard subcommittee. Uh, those, are, those are important subcommittees. 145 obviously does a ton of maintenance, uh, you know, for aircraft. A lot of aircraft mechanics reside in the 145 world, uh, as well as the ACS, which is the training aspect uh, so the standard, you know, how how the schools, the, the 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 curriculum and the way that schools train our mechanics. So we're engaged in that realm. I think that's important to know. And then on the TSA side, I'm part of the Aviation Security Advisory Committee. Our role is to advise the TSA administrator and the TSA on all things related to uh, aviation safety. So I've been on this, this council for multiple terms. The administrator uh, appoints uh, folks to this team. And I can't remember the exact number. I want to say there's there's 32 of us, but there might be more or less. I, I it, it it changes sometimes, so I, I may be off on the exact number. But uh, definitely, there's only there's only a few labor representatives on this team. Uh, I'm one of them, and and speak uh, on behalf of the aircraft mechanic and related. And, and moving forward, by the way, Scott, as, as as we talk, aircraft mechanic and related. You know, there's a lot of folks in our craft. Uh, that, that obviously the primary the primary uh, people in our craft are aircraft mechanics. But we have a ton of other folks that are that are ground equipment mechanics, facilities mechanics, maintenance controllers, appearance techs, instructors, uh, on and on. And I forgot a name. I, I deeply apologize to that those folks. But as I we move forward in this conversation, I'm going to use the term aircraft mechanic. And that means the aircraft mechanic and related. Okay. Yeah. Understand. Um, tell me, how hard is it to get on all these committees? It sounds like uh, it's not like you just fill out a form and say, I want to be on this committee. You have to you have to know people or how do you inject yourself into the discussions with the, the DOT and the FA? That sounds like something that would be not just anyone could do. No. So, again, you have to be appointed for the FAA side. You've got to be appointed by the, the secretary of, of the of transportation. The other TSA side is the administrator of the TSA. So they, they solicit, you know, on occasion, they solicit for names and you send a resume in and you send in, you know, your, what you're, what you're going to do and what your organization does. And then they, they look at these, the, this package and they make a, a, an assessment based on, on what you could bring to the table and, you know, what you have done in your past and, you know, what you're currently doing in your present uh, with the idea that in your in their future it's going to be fantastic, so uh, it really is a, a, a thorough vetting process for the TSA. Uh, there's a lot of of 
safety sensitive information SSI. So I had to get a security clearance with the TSA. Uh, so a lot of important, you know, things that are related. You don't, you can't inject yourself in this conversation if you're not a stakeholder. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anybody that's, that's just wants to be a part of this is not just going to be a part of it. You have to have a reason to be sitting at the table and not just the reason that you think, but, but the, the regulator has to see the same reason. So, um, yeah, it was quite a process. It took years to get on these committees. I'm going to be completely blunt. And mm -hmm. uh, we're, it's, it's really a victory for AMFA that, that we're here on these committees. Oh, yeah, definitely. For us to even have a seat at the table is it's fantastic. At least we can have a little bit of say. I mean, with 32 people on a committee, it sounds like you got to, you know, you, you're going to have so many opinions. You can have 32 opinions on whatever you're uh, talking about that day, but uh, at least we're there. Well, we're there. And there's there's an adage that's out there that says uh, if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. And, you know, if we're not there to talk, and if we're not there to give the perspective of the aircraft mechanic and related, then that perspective is being given by somebody else or not given at all. And so that's why it's so essential that, that we're there and that we work hard to be there. Uh, it, it's not just about getting to these tables. It's about what you provide to the FAA and to the TSA. And it's a lot of work. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a lot of work that's done for free to the government, um, but it's, it's, it's work that, 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 that is deserved and needed. Uh, and we need to make sure that, that the aircraft mechanic perspective is there. And so um, very proud to be on these committees, very proud to be able to offer uh, the perspective that I can offer. How often do you have to travel to D.C. for meetings or I guess it's all Zoom now or like how much how much of your time does this consume? It sounds like you're on a few committees that would take up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 a labor of love, I guess, is the best way to put it. There, there's a lot of work that's done, you know, for free. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's be frank. Yeah. But, but it's, I'm not the only one doing this. There, there, there are several other parts of industry and academia that are supporting, you know, the 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 activities of the regulator. So groups like A4A and, and uh, the RAA, which is the Regional Airline Association, and most of the trade associations for the various entities in aviation have somebody here because they recognize the value in being a stakeholder at the table. You're not gonna get your way uh, all the time. And frankly, you're probably not gonna get your way a lot of the time. But the impact that you can have at this level before something happens, before, before this uh, things just happen to you, uh, being able to impact it early in those stages is essential uh, to making sure that we get things you know, that we need and our voices heard. But as it relates to my time, uh, significant amounts, significant amounts. Uh, I, I, in addition on TSA to the, ASAC itself, I am on several subcommittees. There are seven subcommittees within ASAC. And uh, within one of the subcommittees, the Insider Threat Subcommittee, uh, I actually chair. Uh, so there's two, two chairs on each, on each group. Uh, and, and one chair will come from the TSA and one chair will come from what they call the industry side. Uh, now that industry is a term that's meant to be the whole community, you know, the trade associations, the the labor groups, uh, and 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 the companies that 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 actually service uh, passenger travel. So I I I am a lead uh, a chair, I should say, on on one of the focus areas. So there's a lot of sort of coordination that has to happen there with the different groups, uh, different people on that committee. FAA, you know, it's 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 weekly meetings. Um, it's it's reviewing tons of information and providing feedback. And then, you know, there's primarily a quarterly meeting that occurs uh, between ASAC and ARAC. 
but but those that's not where the where the activity really is. The activity is really happening at the subcommittee and, and focus area working group levels. That that is where the the real activity happens. So want to make sure we're engaged on that level when we are. Um, I mean, I really I, I I could work sixty hours a week in this job. <laughs> so yeah, you know it, it depends. Like it. But as it relates to DC time, we obviously we have lobbyists that are in DC. So so we have some boots on the ground if needed. Uh, I, I, I like to be there though, if it's, you know, if it's something that's, that's specific and we really need to get the mechanic perspective out there. Uh, I like to mm-hmm. be in DC. Zoom has been helpful. Uh, Zoom has provided uh, us, us a lot of leeway in, in, in not having to go to DC, but I will say that, that, you know, having congressional meetings, uh, you, you, you go office to office in this sort of mad scramble from building to building. Uh, wow. But there was a little break when you did that because you could sort of you know, you had time to walk between buildings. Uh, now mm-hmm. with Zoom, it's it's every 30 minutes, meeting, meeting, meeting. And you can literally schedule 17, 18 meetings a day. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty crazy what, what Zoom's allowed. But uh, yeah, that, wow. that's where we are. It's intense. <laughs> it can be, absolutely. Absolutely can be. So when you're on these committees, you're representing much more people than AMFA. You have, you have um, people who are, uh, like you said, AMT and related. So um, they have different concerns than us and every group has their own concerns. How do you juggle that? Yeah, fantastic question. So uh, it goes even deeper than that. So uh, let's remember the Aircraft Mechanics Fraternal Association, you know, doesn't just represent airline mechanics, right? So uh, our associate membership program is, is eligible to anybody in the craft, so you could be a GA mechanic, you could be in the military, you could be an MRO mechanic, you could be a corporate mechanic, you could work in emerging technologies. Uh, the fact is, is these are all considerations that we have to think about. We have to think about the craft in a whole, right, in its entirety. So it includes all of the folks that we just talked about, the GSC and the maintenance controllers and, and so many of the other groups that make up our craft. So we, that, that's a perspective I have to give. And, and uh, yeah, it can be challenging sometimes, um, but, mm-hmm. but, but it's a lot easier to give that perspective. And this is what makes AMPA so unique is we're able to give that perspective. I'm a practicing mechanic, right? So, uh, and I've been doing this for, for almost three decades. So I know what it's like to be in a hangar or be on the line. I know what it's like to do these jobs. And I know enough people uh, in these different groups uh, to know sort of the pain that they feel and, and, and what they're going through on a daily basis. So I can provide that perspective, uh, I think, I think very well. Well, uh, whereas there are some other groups out there that, that's, that, that may not be able to provide that very sort of laser focused perspective on, on the aircraft mechanic. Yeah, that's a great point. Speaking of AMFA, this would be a good uh, point to talk about um, the origins, since you know the gentleman who started AMFA, Mr. O.V. Del Femini, is that how you say Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's O.V. Del okay. Femini. I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> you got it right. It's O.V. Del Femini, affectionately known as Del. Uh, yes, yeah, so he's the founder of AMFA. Uh, you know, tenacious fellow. I uh, did know him personally. And uh, Del started AMFA in, in 1962. So we're coming up on our 60th anniversary in, in uh, next year, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the, the vision AMFA had, or it's just the vision Dell had for, for our craft uh, was to, 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 for our craft to have a voice, for us to be at these tables as a stakeholder. In the past, we weren't. We were part of a, a larger, you know, more industrial, uh, you know, union. 
that 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 perhaps had you know competing interests within their groups, right? So so what they saw in those days in the '60s was was we're not getting heard. The aircraft mechanic isn't being heard. The pilots are being heard. The flight attendants are being heard. But for some reason, the aircraft mechanics are being lumped in to to maybe a ground worker sort of scenario. And he had the vision to 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 say, you know what, the aircraft mechanics deserve a voice. The, but the only way to get that voice is is for us to to become independent. And you know, similar to to the pilots and and the flight attendants, right? That that have an independent voice. And so in '62, him and a few other fellows and 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 about a few dozen associate members uh, stepped out and and started AMPA. And within a few years, they had picked up Ozark Airlines. Um, you know, great times for for a few decades, uh, and then you know, deregulation occurred. 1978, one of the probably key components to, to aviation history, right? Especially for airlines. Uh, deregulation occurred. We had lots of lots of merging, lots of bankruptcies. And, and uh, Antla found itself without a carrier for, for, for over a decade. And so at these times, you know, Dell was, was organizing and, and it was the backbone, the associate members uh, that, that kept Antla alive. And it was Dell, the, the Antla evangelist, uh, that continued to, to attempt to, you know, to, to, to get that vision out there and to have other mechanics embrace that vision. Aircraft mechanics. I didn't know they didn't have an airline for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. More than That's that. That's interesting. Um, like how did, how did they manage through that? That seems like, how do you not lose hope if you're, you know, trying to get this organization going? That seems like uh, very daunting. So, so as I said at the beginning, Dell was a tenacious fellow and uh, he had given his entire life to, to this organization. So he deserves that, that mad props to you know, go to Dell. Uh, there are stories about you know, him, him living in, in, in budget hotels or, or with other, other members, right? So he would go visit a place. He, they didn't have money for a hotel. He, he would stay with, with the mechanics that were there at that station. And, 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 and frankly, that's probably a better move anyway. You get to know people and, 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 and get to really get the feeling for what's happening. Um, but but things got better. Uh, obviously, Amper grew. Uh, but but we always need to look back, and I think we need to remember that that it was his vision, you know, that 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 uh, you know got us where we are today. And you know, he definitely uh, lives in lore uh, in this organization, or should uh, just like we should look at you know the first mechanic ever, Charles E. Taylor, and and more mechanics should should look back at folks like that and realize that you know other people have gone before us, other people have have blazed a path. And, um, you know, without them, we wouldn't be where we are today. So yeah, without right. Dell, Tampa wouldn't be here. We're standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say, right? We're not the first ones to invent the wheel. There's people that came before us and made the path a little easier. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing, you know, I, I spent, you know, many a, an evening conversation, a dinner or, or a, you know, otherwise with, with Dell. And, you know, the one thing he would always, always tell me, you know, before we parted, parted ways, was he would say, you know, Justin, always put family first, you know, and, and I always took that, you know, I was a young guy, I had young kids. And, 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 and so, you know, it's hard to embrace, you know, uh, everything was going on in my life, including the union stuff. Right. Uh, but Dell would always tell me that. And I took it to heart. And the reason he would tell me that is because he really did sacrifice everything. He sacrificed his relationship with family, with friends, uh, to make sure that our organization survived. So, um, you know, he should, he, he, he left us in 2015, unfortunately, so he's no longer with us, but uh, his, his memory is definitely strong. And uh, I didn't see eye to eye with everything uh, Del, Del said, 
uh, but at the same time, I recognize, you know, what he means to our organization. All right. Well said. All right. We'll move to the present. Um, uh, I guess this is the legislative part. So, so what is AMPA doing today, right? So right. what is our legislative agenda? You know, and I think that's important. I think, you know, people need to understand, you know, what, what issues are the craft having? Because a lot of times, you know, as a mechanic, you know, we, we look at our contracts and they're super essential, right? Everything that happens there, we, we, uh, we definitely uh, negotiate wages and benefits and, and enforce contracts. And, and, and that is a, a big deal for what AMPA does. But AMPA is not just the union. And, and I think this is another unique thing about AMPA. AMPA is a craft advocate, right? We have an associate membership group. Um, you know, that, that we need to worry about, that we need to concern ourselves with. And we have a craft that we need to concern ourselves with. You know, we need to make sure that, that, that both the craft exists in 50 years so that AMPA exists in 50 years. So that's sort of the, the, the premise behind, you know, when we, when we develop a legislative agenda, obviously we think about our members, our bargain for members, they're an essential part of the organization, but we also have to consider the entire craft. So uh, for the case of brevity, uh, I'll put, you know, our legislative agenda really in, in the sort of four categories and in no specific order uh, do, do these do these exist. So there, there's no priority here. But but first and foremost, um, I just said first and foremost, that is I, I just took away everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> first, not foremost. We got to start off, on, on one of them anyway, you know. Absolutely. First, <laughs> first is uh, is outsourcing. Right. And primarily for outsourcing. Uh, we, we've seen jobs since deregulation. You know, when the airlines really had to compete and, and companies like Southwest Airlines came into the mix and, and said, well, we can we can do this more efficiently. Right. Uh, the bigger groups, the, the legacy airlines, the Pan Ams, the TWAs, the Easterns had to suddenly compete where they didn't have to before. And so, you know, what they looked at was aircraft maintenance, which is a cost center, not a revenue generator. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's two things a company can do. Right. When when times are tough, they can either raise revenue or they can cut costs, I guess, or do both, right? Which is probably what they're gonna do. So the, the idea was, let's look at cutting costs. We started to see a movement of aircraft maintenance away from what was occurring at the carriers and move more towards the MRO world, which by the way, today is, is over $50 billion uh, business. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and when I was at TWA, you know, we still had folks in back shops in St. Louis that were testing tire pressure gauges i mean right. that's the rebuilding type of coffee makers or rebuilding seats or any small jobs like that that you said you told me an interesting statistic yesterday when we were talking before this um what was it um 60 of aircraft maintenance jobs are unlicensed mm. jobs was that what Am I getting so there's, that right? there's a lot of numbers. Again, I'll, I'll point to the ATAC pipeline report, but um, you know, there's about 300,000, a little bit over 300,000 certificated mechanics, uh, according to the FAA. Uh, but there's an argument as to how many mechanics are actually practicing because the FAA does not, they don't know who's practicing, they don't keep track of who's practicing. The only time they take a certificate is when somebody dies or if they've reached the age of 90, right? So if you, you hit 90, you're going to lose your certificate, by the way. So, I mean, hopefully you're not working at that point. But uh, <laughs> uh, but no, so so the, the numbers, um, you know, are that about 33% of the jobs out there are being filled by certificated mechanics. Okay. So, and when you look at how much work is being done, 
the, the, what I think I was telling you yesterday that, that you might be thinking of was that, that of the aircraft maintenance work, much of it is being done at the MRO world today. I mean, we're talking 75%, right? Now, a lot of that work is the, the heavy, you know, sort of labor hour, uh, heavy 20,000, 30,000 hour checks that are being accomplished by, by the MROs. But, but the, the MRO world, many of them are actually small one, two, three member shops that do maybe avionics box repairs or do fix coffee makers, something like that. So it's, it's an interesting industry. Um, you know, that's, that's really come since deregulation and, and the airlines have started to really push that work uh, elsewhere. But what's concerning to us uh, more so than that is the foreign outsourcing. And so, you know, the movement of aircraft to foreign outsourced or to foreign MROs, you know, it's not just the safety and security thing, because frankly, when it comes to safety and security, these folks, many of them, well, they're not certificated, but they're also not background checked. And they're generally not under some type of drug and alcohol testing, right, mm. program. Whereas we as, as domestic mechanics are under the DOT uh, as, in a safety sensitive position. But it's also about economics, right? So um, these are jobs, these are well-paying jobs in the U.S. that provide an economic benefit to, to a community. And, mm. and, and these jobs are being taken by foreign repair station mechanics. And, you know, the, it, it's a frustrating endeavor, again, not only to think of the safety and security perspective, but to think about the, the, the economy perspective and the jobs perspective. During the pandemic, uh, domestic MROs had to lay off mechanics, you know, while work is still being done uh, outside of the U.S. To me, that's abysmal, you know, that It that seems wrong. It definitely seems wrong. And it seems... I'm sure they're doing it because of cost savings and the other issues that you mentioned, but there's got to be a way to, you know, make it work because it's worked in the past. Well, I think someone argue that, that, that that's the reason why they're doing that. It's again, when you go back to the deregulation period and you talk about cost savings, you know, we look at, we look at what it costs per labor hour to have, say, a certificate AMP mechanic do it, you know, at say $55 an hour versus paying, a, you know, a, a, an uncertificated mechanic. Uh, pennies on the dollar, right? In some foreign repair station. So, you know, they're sa- they're, the savings is, is significant or they wouldn't do mm-hmm. it. So yeah. what the goal is here is, is you know, there's been a lot of, of discussion about ending foreign outsourcing. And, you know, frankly, it's a very complex topic. There's a lot of bilateral agreements. We've got a lot of, there's a lot of, of legal and, and uh, you know, sort of governmental, I should say, issues that are, that are involved in, in foreign outsourcing. Um, but what we, what we really feel like needs to happen is a leveling of the playing field. Because if, if the airlines have a choice, right, to outsource an aircraft to either a foreign repair station or a domestic repair station, and, and all costs are equal, where are they going to go, right? They're going to choose the domestic. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just makes yeah. more sense. Um, so, so that's been our goal. We, we helped uh, Chairman Defazio. Uh, in the House, we put out HR fifty one nineteen last Congress, which was directly uh, addressing foreign outsourcing. We had input into that, and we support it. It has not been reintroduced this this uh, Congress as of yet, but we're confident that uh, something will come out and will again uh, support that. Uh, we we what it does provide more oversight. And frankly, that's one of the biggest issues is oversight, and the FAA being able to provide the oversight that that they they can walk into a facility in the U.S. anytime they want. 
day or night, right? And and but but they can't do that to the floor repair station. So you know we we feel like there's there's more data that needs to be shared. Uh, we need to make sure the qualifications exist uh, as well as pro- the FAA being able to provide the proper oversight. So that's sort of the, the outsourcing one. Um, I think second is is workforce development. And you might ask yourself, well, why should I care? You know, I'm, I'm in the field. You know, I, I'm done with school or I got my AMP. Why do I care? Well, you know, there's a couple of reasons. One is, you know, first of all, well, you may have kids or, or grandkids that want to enter into this craft. So let, let's be concerned about the next generation of mechanics. Uh, but 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 I think maybe even more important than that is is the idea that if if we don't ensure that there are enough mechanics to take these jobs then we're allowing or we're encouraging, I should say, industry to uh, erode our craft because they have to have people work on aircraft. You know, they have to provide aircraft maintenance. Planes don't fly without aircraft maintenance. It's as simple as that. Now, we obviously believe that that's, uh, you know, only certificated mechanics, you know, can provide, you know, the best possible maintenance. But as far as industry is concerned and as far as the regulation is concerned, um, you know, they they don't necessarily have to bring on certificate mechanics. They can do some things that that they can pay a lesser wage. Um, you know, they can they can find ways to do that. So so what we're all about is the, let's let's be engaged in this. We recognize there's there's issues with the pipeline. There's issues with the next generation uh, wanting to do jobs like this. And it's not just our job. It's other blue collar sort of you know electrician, sheet metal workers. Um, plumbers, you know, people don't want to do these jobs anymore. What do we have to do to entice them to get in aviation? Uh, you know, and, and obviously labor's perspective is, well, pay them, <laughs> give them the proper benefits, wages, and working conditions. Right. Make it an, apl- make it an attractive profession. Correct. Correct. You know, you know uh, pay, pay uh, shift work the way it should be paid, right? If you're, yeah. if you're in the medical field and you're working, you know, the overnight shift, you're being paid a significant benefit to work that overnight shift, right? You know, they um, get more than 63 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I won't speak specifically about any contracts, but yes, I mean, I think there there are, are ways to look at it. And I think industry needs to take that look, but it involves us too. It involves labor. And, and so we've had this conversation, you know, the AMP is NEC and myself and, and what is our role? And, you know, what do we do moving forward? So we're working with groups like ATEC, uh, the Aviation Technician Education Council. We're working with schools, providing scholarships. Um, you know, I'm also a board member of, of a, a nonprofit called Choose Aerospace. And it's, it's a coalition of industry, labor, academia, and the regulator on the board. We have, we have uh, someone from industry. We have someone from labor, which is me. We have someone from uh, the, the schools, right? The, the education academia perspective. And then we have someone from the FAA, a very senior person from the FAA is, is on this. So the goal is here is, is how do we get people into aviation? And you know, how do we uh, not just get them in aviation, but get them set on the pathway to become a certificated mechanic. So we're not just sitting on our hands here, but more can be done. Uh, so we're constantly looking for ways. And I'll tell you another big thing that we're doing uh, is, is military transition. We have a, a built group of mechanics that are in the military yeah. right now. Right, that, great idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but according to the, again, according to ATEX numbers, we're only capturing 10%. 10% of those mechanics are coming into the field. So wow. we, have, we have so much potential for growth here. And let's get the military folks, you know, a, an easier transition. And I did this so I can speak to, to, to how sort of difficult it is to, to do. You, it should be simple. It's much simpler for the pilots. 
So let's let's engage. So we're engaging with the regulator, with the FAA on this, engaging with industry on this, and uh, excited to see where where it goes. We just AMPA uh, got involved with Viper, uh, another great organization that's, that's based out of Alaska that is working with uh, folks that don't have aviation experience, uh, folks that that come from you know they're grunts, they were snipers, they were they dug ditches, whatever they did. But we're building sort of a a, a pre apprenticeship program where they they get a twelve week class before they transition out, and uh, they can come in and 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 then they can start to begin their pathway towards certification. So lots of things. Viper? It's called Viper. Yes, um, oh, okay. it's it's a nonprofit that's designed around uh, suicide prevention of of okay. veterans and in those that are that are leaving the military and and the concept is that you know if we can provide these folks with gainful employment that they're less likely to 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 want to sit in a dark room and think the bad thoughts because Man. you know they're, they're making a livable wage and it, it's a great career field aviation is it's a burgeoning career field so it just seemed like a nice mix they're already doing it with some other uh unions with with say sheet metal workers and electrical workers uh, but they wanted to branch off in aviation. So we engaged and have been working with them and, and uh, happy with their success and uh, look forward to continuing success with them. So that's that's the workforce. I think the third is safety and security. And we Can talked I ask little- one thing about Absolutely. the work. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, this workforce development thing has me thinking of like um, uh, um, medical doctors, they fought like really, really hard to not allow PAs to exist. I don't know if you know anything about that, but it, it sounds like what you're dealing with with repairman certificate possibly versus an AMP certificate. I don't know if you can talk about that, but is that something that you're, you're a part of or working on or trying to prevent? Because um, the watering down of the certifications is something that other professions are, are concerned with too, even dentists, medical doctors, like I said, and um, nurses too, because uh, nurses, they have different levels of, you know, they have RN, then they have lower LPN and stuff. And it kind of waters down the RN in their view. Do you, do you think the same applies here? Is that an issue for, for workforce development? Well, so I, like I said at the beginning of, of, of this portion of it, industry will find a way, okay? And, you know, that's being discussed a lot, the repairman and, and utilizing the repairman to, to sort of bridge the gap of, of having, they are a certificated mechanic. I mean, they're certificate, they're not a mechanic, they're certificated repairman. It exists today in the regulation, uh, the repairman does. And frankly, repairman have existed as long as mechanics have. So it's not some new novel idea. Uh, and it's right. being utilized, frankly, by, by the MRO world and, and even some carriers utilize the repairman to do certain tasks. But yes, we're concerned that uh, the difference between the repairman and the mechanic is, is that the repairman does not have a standard, whereas the mechanic does. The mechanic has to pass a knowledge, skill, and practical test, right? They have to both show that they know what's going on, uh, both you know, through a, a, a knowledge test, but then they have to apply their knowledge to a, a, a mechanic examiner, designated mechanic examiner, who the FAA you know, buys off on. And, right, and the FAA, yeah, the FAA controls the standard, which is the test. With the repairman, it's a company saying, hey, this person has this experience. We want them to be able to sign off, you know, return to service on this specific welding or, or whatever it is. 
And, and the FAA generally, you know, checks that box because what else do they have? You know, they, they only have the company, the certificated group, the entity to say that. So, yes, we're very concerned with the erosion of the craft. There's more going on. It's not the repairman that is the only thing. Um, mm-hmm. There is also a, a industry is putting together a, a, a qualification. Let me use the right term here. An industry certification for the A&P that mirrors the A&P that wouldn't be under the FAA. So we just have to be cognizant of all of these things going on because of the potential or the impending shortage of mechanics. It's why we have to be engaged in this conversation. We can't right. just it comes sit back to what by. you said about being at the table. It comes back to what you said about being at the table. If you're not at the table, they're just going to foist this upon us one day and we will just have to deal with it because we weren't at the table to begin with. Right. That's exactly <clears throat> the point of these committees and all the work you're doing there. I mean, I, yeah, I get it. It's, it seems like, so important that i can't believe we don't have like more people on this problem, you know? sure um so so there's the, the third part of the safety and security and i think that sort of gets to what you were saying uh using the regulator being involved with at the regulator level is essential in in having an impact on these so we, we tend to look at our contracts to say this again in, in maybe three to five year sort of windows right so so you, you have, unfortunately, you know, we, we've had longer windows, but um, let's just use the five-year average. And we, we sort of look at it in these windows. Uh, regulation can take 10 years or more to, to go through the rulemaking process. And it takes generations sometimes to change rules. Part 65 hasn't been addressed for a long time. Part 147 before right now had not been addressed uh, since 1962 in earnest. Or uh, I take that back. It's in the 60s. It, it hadn't been t- looked at in earnest. So we're, we were operating, it's part 147 for those that don't know, is, is the, the, the FAR, the Federal Aviation Regulation that, that, that dictates how a mechanic is trained by a, a school. So the training schools have to look at part 147 and have to abide by part 147 to be certificated to be able to train mechanics. But that hadn't been changed in forever. It's taken almost 20 years to get 147 changed. So we have to look at the big picture and, and not just sometimes these three to five year windows. And that's what we were doing here with government affairs and what we're doing with the regulator is sitting at the table, doing some more big picture stuff, right? Thinking about what the craft looks like in 20 years, in 30 years, in 50 years. And so um, safety and security, you know, lots of stuff that, that are involved in that, in that bag, um, you know, including, you know, some of our TSA stuff. We haven't talked a lot about TSA, but, you know, we, we there's a lot that goes on, you know, that the, the when it comes to TSA and we're all liable to, to, to perform, you know, the, the, the duties as a badged employee, right? There, there's something that comes with that. And we've had mechanics, uh, frankly, that have, have gotten in serious trouble, uh, you know, for, for, for violating or potentially, or, you know, allegedly violating uh, the airport security uh, program. So uh, it's important to, that we're involved at that table too. And in and, and letting the TSA know that, you know, the aircraft mechanic is different. You know, they, they tend to see crew, ground worker. And it's been really important to sort of make the distinction between aircraft mechanic from ground worker. We have a lot more at stake. We've got a lot more invested in our education. We've got a lot more invested in our tools, in our careers. The average mechanic doesn't quit his job, isn't leaving, is doing, you know, 35 years with the corporation. Uh, there's, these are things that need to be told, but they wouldn't be told if we're not at the table. So that fits into that safety, safety and security right? um, element, I should say. And then I think fourth, um, you know, we talk about emerging tech. 
emerging technology is becoming a, a, a bigger part of, of our portfolio because the evolution of aviation is upon us. You know, back in the day, we, we all used to watch cartoons, I, I assume. And uh, there's a cartoon that I'm not sure if you're old enough to, to remember this, but uh, called the Jetsons, uh, where, where they would <laughs> they'd remember the Jetsons. So, so yeah, George of course, would fly yeah. around in, in, in his little his little air you know, mobile. Um, mm-hmm. Scott, we're, we're almost there. I mean, there's some that argue that <laughs> yes. we are there. That, hey, that, we have Roombas, basically. Uh, what was it? Rudy, the robot. Wasn't she like a vacuuming robot? We have her now. <laughs> but I'm speaking specifically of the aviation vehicle that Jetson owned. And uh, so we have we have what's called urban air mobility, uh, also called advanced air mobility. So AAM slash UAM. And there are corporations right now that are in the Part 135 certification process. So they have a viable aircraft and they have a viable business plan. And you know, there's some that project within the next two years, we're going to see these in urban areas. These are aircraft, right? These yeah, are four yeah. to six person, uh, in some cases autonomous, in some cases not. But, in some uh, cases electric, right? I uh, was at Thanksgiving in my, uh, one of my cousins or something, he was telling me he owned stock in uh, like Archer Aviation and it was some electric plane that had a range of 60 miles. And I was like, what are you going to use that for? But you know, so 60 that's miles, average, but I guess that's urban, right? No, urban air mobility. It's the idea yeah. behind urban air mobility is you're going to be able to uh, sit at, 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 at say, we'll use Chicago as an example, right? So, so you want to go from, say, you live in Naperville, right? And you want to go from there to O'Hare, and you don't want to deal with the traffic, and you want to get a taxi. You can jump on at, at your local mall. You can jump in one of these vehicles, plug in a few things into a, an iPad. And it's going to take you off from, from here and get you to O'Hare or somewhere close to O'Hare where you can then walk onto an airplane and, and go further. So, you know, right now it's it's smaller with the 60 to 90 mile, but but we foresee this growing into something bigger. Um, we have we have uh, the drones, right? UAS, huge. Mm-hmm. FAA right now is doing everything they can to figure out how to integrate the drones into the national airspace. That That is one of the primary things they're doing right now. Uh, really? We have... Wow. We have commercial space. We're all watching Blue Origin and SpaceX do do all these 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 things, send people up into in, into you know near space, sometimes outer space. And uh, you hear a lot more about supersonic now. I'm actually now that's not a new technology, right? Um, but 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 that's you know we we had the we 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 had aircraft that would do that, the Concorde, right? You know, years and decades ago. But more and more, I hear more about the supersonic. Here's the issue, Scott. It's not guaranteed that aircraft mechanics will be working on this. Mm. These aren't guaranteed to be aircraft maintenance jobs. And, and an example is I was on a panel uh, recently with uh, talking UAM, AAM, and we had somebody from Hyundai uh, as a panelist. And Hyundai at the time had had or has 70 prototypes for UAM vehicles. There's a lot of people in the auto world jumping in. There's people in this business that aren't necessarily from aviation. They're coming mm-hmm. from different angles. So this isn't just, as much as it's an evolution of aviation, as much as it is the electric motor or hydro, you know, electro hydraulic motor, what it is is it's different entities that don't see you know, aircraft mechanics as being the only people that need to work on this. And frankly, it could be auto mechanics. So it changes the dynamic of, of where is an aircraft located? What does it do? You know, All these things, these need to be jobs that that we believe that are done by certificated mechanics and 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 so but right now everybody's worried about the opposite of this how does this fit you know things flying over my head 
But we want to look beyond that. We want to look at what's going to happen when they need to be serviced and, and is it going to be serviced by our craft? Because we frankly think that this is something that we can entice the young folks with, right? This is something that might make you want to become an aircraft. You might not want yeah, to become an aircraft mechanic yeah. at a major airline and work yeah. nights and weekends, 365, 24-7. <laughs> yeah. um, this may be another sort of working condition, different, different element that we can work in. So um, this is, again, looking at the craft in the future and how do we impact it. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's an interesting field and it's, it's, it's only going to evolve more as we go. So those are sort of the four buckets. There's a lot more I didn't talk about, which we could get into at, at a later date. But those are really mm -hmm. the four sort of elements that, that are, are on our legislative agenda. Exciting. It's a lot of stuff. That's uh, I never really considered the maintenance of like a drone, but I guess it's an aircraft, right? So it would need aircraft maintenance, right? Well, this is what this is what I tell congressmen and their stabs. And, and frankly, what I tell the people in industry that are building these things are, you know, your first goal is to gain public trust, right? Because if one of these things falls out of the sky, and either kills people that are in it or kills people on the ground or both, you're going to face, you know, serious issues. You need to make sure that you are providing the safest product. And if you want to provide the safest product, that's going to be a certificated mechanic and amplitude so you need to come to. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the message that I, that, that I send in addition to others, but that one really resonates. So. Oh, I bet. Yeah. That's a powerful message for sure. So we're with the future. What are we doing for the future, for our future, for our members' future. Yeah, absolutely. So, so again, what we just talked about, a lot of it does relate to to the members' future and, and the craft's future, and um, you know, ensuring that we're at every table. You know, I think is, is really the first thing, and it's it's back to to Dell's Dell's you know vision and and our founders' vision and, and the, the vision of the current National Executive Council and those that have come before them. But this National Executive Council we have today is. Have, have really put a focus and, and put resources into the government affairs portion of our organization. And, and, and it's really with the mindset of where are we going? Because, you know, we have to maintain an organization that, that can support our craft. So moving forward, we're going to continue down this road. We're going to continue pushing to limit uh, or, or stop, you know, uh, foreign outsourcing. We'd love to see all the work that's being done uh, on aircraft in the U S obviously if an aircraft breaks in, in Hong Kong, it's, it's not going to be fixed in, 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 in the U.S. So, you know, I don't want to go down that road. But, but the reality is, is, is these jobs should be in the U.S. So we're going to continue down that path. Uh, we're going to continue trying to be at every stakeholder table that we can possibly be at. We're going to continue to scream and yell uh, the aircraft mechanic voice. We do represent the, the frontline perspective. We have a leadership at AMFA that is all aircraft mechanics. No one else can say that. No one else right. can say that. We don't have competing interests uh, within, within, our, within our organization. We do really speak for the aircraft mechanic because we are aircraft mechanics, and that's all that we represent. So we're going to continue down that path. We're going to continue with that message. And I'm really excited to say that, that uh, in, in, earlier this year, we started the first political action committee that is uh, solely representing the aircraft mechanic. So there's tons of PACs in the world, right? Um, and, and what is a PAC? Well, well, it's, it's, it's a, a transparent way to, to uh, involve yourself in, in the election process. And so you've heard of PACs that they, they tend to get a really negative 
connotation of them, right? People people think of them negatively, but the reality is is super PACs. You hear that all the time, right? Like you hear super PAC. PAC. That's that's not what that's not that's not what we're doing. But 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 it is about getting in the game. It is about it is about being a part of the process. And um, you know, I'll liken I'll liken a pack to to a, another tool in your toolbox, and 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 the right tool in your toolbox. Because there are times where, where you go to a job and, and you reach into your toolbox and you're like, man, I really wish I had that specific tool for this job. And it makes you that much more efficient if you have it. Not that you can't do the job otherwise, but it'll take you twice as long, if not more. And, and the frustration is there, right? If you have that special tool, then you can actually get the job done more efficiently. You can take less time off of yourself and you can get what you needed done, again, more efficiently. So that's what this pack does for us. We've had great success. But what it's going to do is it's going to provide more access, right? It's going to provide more influence and it's going to provide more victories. And so that's what we're looking for. Victories for the aircraft mechanic. That's what AMPA is all about. So what government affairs is trying to do is create victories for us. So the pack was started in, in uh, July, August timeframe. And, and so we're new, we're a new pack, but we've already got a significant response from the membership and uh, we're encouraged by that response. And, and, and so anybody, you know, how do you, how do you become a member of the pack? Well, you have to be a member of AMFA. Uh, so you can be an associate member of AMFA uh, first, and then you can be a member of the pack. But our members today and, the, and their families are all eligible to join. So um, go to AMFAPAC.org, uh, learn about what we're doing, uh, learn about, you know, some of the things that you can do to, to engage. It is a way for you to engage uh, with very little actual time, you know, because frankly, we all know that each, each and every one of you has a life, right? You're you're a soccer coach or, or a softball coach or, or you know, you, you like to golf or you have your hobbies or whatever it is, everybody's doing something and it's hard to get engaged. You want to, but it's hard to, to justify the time away from your family. This is a way for you to, to, to engage in the craft uh, and it's a way for you to engage with, with, with the least amount of, of, of real sort of physical activity, if, if I could put it that way. So excited that mm -hmm. it's here, um, excited of what it's going to do. Uh, it, it's already proven to be successful and, and you can look at organizations that have packs already and sort of see, you know, the evidence is there. The pilots all have packs. Uh, you know, oh, really? Attack. I didn't know that. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. And, and our, you know, frankly, our pilot friends have told us for years, you know, you guys need to start a pack. Uh, they yeah. recognize the value in their pack and, you know, they see that it would be, you know, a, a, a tangible benefit to our members. It's a tangible benefit to their members. But again, it does, it, it, it's separate. It's not part of it. It's, how can I say this? It's a separate entity, but it's connected to AMFA. So it shares a similar leadership team, uh, but AMFA itself, uh, per federal law, you know, can't put money into elections, right? Can't do that. But the way, the way, that, the way that it can happen is members can contribute to that PAC, and then that PAC, which is connected to AMFA, can then do that. So um, it's, you know, when it comes down to government affairs, you know, and, and getting something done in D.C., there really is three ways to get something done. Right. I mean, there, there's more. I'm going to be, be very you know, elemental here. There's, you know, votes. There's having a significant amount of of, of votes. And we're not talking, you know, 300,000. We're talking millions you know, of votes. Uh, there is is finding a champion. So finding someone that feels so strongly about your cause, they're willing to introduce legislation and not just introduce it, but push it through all the committees. Uh, that's where we've been successful in the past is finding champions. But, but the, 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 probably the biggest way to get something done in D.C. is money, right? Because, <laughs> right. I mean, let's see, 
let's be honest, you know, the, 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 the folks that are running for office are constantly running for office and there's a cost attached to that. And they need to make sure that, that you know, they, they maintain their status in whatever position they hold. To do that, they need to become reelected. So reelection becomes a very important part of, of their lives on, on Congress. And so it, it's a way to sort of engage in that process. And uh, it's, it's not as it's, it doesn't have the negatives that, that everybody thinks it does. Uh, so, so just to be clear, like we're not we're not supporting one political party. We're just this this is this is for some maybe what is it contributions to a reelection campaign of one of our champions? Is that kind of the idea? Fantastic question. So AMP is apolitical or I should say nonpartisan. We have never picked a party. We've never said, you know, we're only going to be support Democrats. We're only going to support Republicans. What AMPA has said uh, and, and AMPA does practices is we'll support whoever supports the aircraft mechanic. We don't care whether you have an R behind your name or a D behind your name. And frankly, we found help from both sides. So I see it like I walk in the aisle, down the aisle, and I've got one to one side and one to the other. We're down the middle and we'll take help from either side. So the mm -hmm. pack, I can tell you right now from leadership and, and the, the pack will strive to be, uh, you know, pretty straight down the middle. We're going to support, you know, both parties, but what we're going to support are the folks that, that have the ability to, to, to support us. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people, committees of jurisdiction are going to be a big part. People that can have an impact on legislation, an oversized impact, they're going to be people that we look at. Uh, so there's going to be times where, where one party is going to actually, uh, you know, if, if you look at the numbers, which is all going to be public knowledge, by the way, if you look at the numbers, you know, one party might be a little bit ahead of the other, but it's because they're in the majority. Right. And they mm -hmm. control mm -hmm. that, that, that body of Congress. But yeah, sure. we're, we're nonpartisan. Uh, we don't just pick one party. And again, that's that separates AMPA and that's going to separate this pack. Because yeah, I think that's super important, because as soon as you pick one or the other, you eliminate 50 percent of your audience. I think it's just a, a terrible like when any company comes out on one side or the other, it's not a good thing usually, you know, so it's it's good to have, um, like you said, the nonpartisan stance um, <clears throat> from the beginning. Yeah, this is a commitment. And, and I know I know absolutely from from the team that that. that there's a commitment to to maintain that nonpartisan status within the pack. So we will we will strive towards that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're super excited and, and you know, happy, happy again to have everybody that, that has any wants any more info, you know, go to that ampapack.org website. So. But, yeah, that's that's, you know, I think, you know, other than what we talked about already, that's that's really, really where AMP is going. And, and we're going to continue the fight We continue to fight for the aircraft mechanic. Uh, we're going to continue to ensure that that the aircraft mechanic is a stakeholder at every table uh, that is involved, you know, with our folks. And, you know, that's that's really what's essential. And, and we've been successful. We've had some great successes in the past. And we're going to we're going to build on those successes and take the momentum we have and just keep pushing, uh, raising the profile of our craft. And, you know, which is what the Constitution tells us to do so. Well, you've got your work cut out for you. It sounds like you're a busy guy. <laughs> well, you, your enthusiasm comes through and we really appreciate the work you've been doing. Hopefully we can get together again and really get into the weeds with some of these things like the outsourcing, like the workforce development, the safety, security, those kind of things. I know we just glossed over them. I'm sure that we could talk for an hour on each one of those things and maybe we will in the future. So I really, really appreciate you taking your valuable time to talk with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Honestly, it's been great. 
Actually, if I could just say one last thing, you know, um, kind of a parting thought here. And it's what I usually say when I talk to our members, you know, at different meetings or whatever, is, is, is I do have a request, you know, to, to the AMFA folks and to our craft for that matter. And the request is be professional. And, 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 and that's an essential part of AMFA. It really is. It's about, it's about being professional. But, but what that means to me is, is both an inside look and sort of an outside projection. And so first, it's this inside understanding that, you know, we have a, a sacred bond with the flying public and, and they just expect aircraft to be safe, right? They just get on a plane. They don't even think about it. They don't even think that this aircraft, I'm flying in a, in a metal tube miles above the earth, you know, 500 <laughs> miles an hour. They don't even think about the physics behind that and what it takes to make that happen. And it really is aircraft mechanics on the ground that are making sure, right, that that airplane mm -hmm. is safe, Right. Safety Absolutely. in the air begins with quality against the ground. That is AMFA's motto. So we need to recognize that. We also need to understand that our job is rooted in regulation. And I recommend everybody go, go pick up the, your, your, your FARs, right? And just read a little on 43 and 65 and 121 and 147 and 145 and, and sort of get to know some of the regulations because they're important to what's going on. Um, and, and, and then I think it's an outward, you know, it's an outward projection, right? So we're aircraft mechanics. We tend to work at night on inanimate objects. We, we're, we're very autonomous, you know, just because of our jobs. But there is the time where you're going you're gonna to face, you know, situations. You're going to interact with flight crews, interact with, you know, potentially passengers, interact with management, interact with, if, if you happen to be a, 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 an FBO fellow, uh, you're, you're going to be interacting with aircraft owners and things like that. If you're in the military, your superiors, you know, just make that interaction professional. You know, people remember that. And if you're talking to a passenger, especially if you're talking to the flying public, you know, I think it's essential that we project, you know, a professional, uh, a, a, a professional outward appearance. And, and I'll leave you with the story. Uh, I was, I was, a, it's been a few years, but, but uh, we had a, we had an aircraft that, that, that a lady wanted to get off the plane because we needed to do an engine run on the aircraft with the passengers, you know, there, and, and we don't like to do this usually, but but there is the, the, the possibility you can do an engine run, right? Um, so the passenger wanting to get off the aircraft was absolutely, you know, just crying and, 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 and just couldn't leave. And so uh, the captain was trying to calm, calm her down. And uh, he, he finally called me and said, hey, can you please talk to this passenger? And, you know, so I, I said, sure, I'm happy to talk to her. So I sat down with her and explained exactly what we did, why we did it. Um, helped her understand some of the, 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 the mechanics behind what was going on. And, uh, you know, proud to say she got on the aircraft and flew away. So that's the interaction, you know, that we need. We need the flying public to understand that what we do is as essential as is what the pilot does when he flies that aircraft, uh, because they're expecting us to do what we're doing too. So just be professional. And again, like I said, understand that this, this is a profession. Like what we do is a profession. It's, it's, it's not just a job, it's a profession. Thanks for listening to Amph Insider. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep up with the latest news and updates happening within Amph and across the airline industry. Until next time.